Episode 16, the Photon Podcast. We look back at this past year. It might take a little while, but stay tuned. AmateurRadio15.com presents Photon, the other ham radio podcast. Sponsored by Main Trading Company. Find them online at mtcradio.com. Now, here's your host, Kale Nelson, K4CDN. So, here we are, episode 16 of the Photon Podcast. I was told that I probably wouldn't get five done, <laughs> so I guess we're three times past that. Thank you for tuning in to the New Year's show. Happy New Year, by the way. I'm Kale, Kilo for Charlie Delta November. I am a amateur radio operator, hobbyist in the upstate of South Carolina, and you're tuned into the Photon Podcast. It's the other ham radio podcast. Not that I do another one, uh, am- amateur radio podcast, that is, but uh, there's a lot of us out there, and I hope that you're enjoying those other folks as well. I'm here to bring you a little different take on the hobby, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Going to go through this pretty quickly, or as quick as we can. I want to play t- for you some highlights from this past year. And we're going to start with episode one, Cecil Higgins, and we go back to Joplin and the recovery effort and how amateur radio played a part in that following the tornado disaster a few years back. So let's uh, let's check out what, what you may have missed in episode one. Uh, who aren't. The beam room is a concrete and force, almost like a bunker. It is it is absolutely hardened against these kind of weather events, these kind of tornadoes, and any, about any other kind of thing. They they, they handle explosions well, uh, all kinds of stuff. And FEMA has has all throughout the country helped with funding on providing these buildings where you know cities and governments and stuff can have this area to operate in. Well, the problem was. Uh, there was no way to run coax for our antennas out from down in the basement of this FEMA room. Well, the basement was the FEMA room, but there was no way to run coax up to get to our antennas. So we couldn't actually sit there and be side-by-side side with with the people operating the emergency operations center. So we got to looking at the building, and we elected to place the emergency operations center communications for Aries at the top of the stairwell in an office uh, that allow, it allowed us easy access to the EOC and should another weather event or something start happening we had very quick access to get into shelter as well because at the time we still had we still had storms coming in and we had funnels that had occurred over the over the town you know after this had happened a couple of days later uh, I mean, we, people were scared, and we still had weather events going on, and it didn't take much of a cloud for folks to get really upset. So so uh, we had one tornado siren left in the city. <laughs> so, so you know, it was, it, was, it was something else. So we got this set up on top, and basically what we did was we set our radios up. We were running off of the generator power that was provided there for that particular uh, public safety center is where it was set up at. We put all our antennas on push-up poles and stuck them up above the building, you know, from the ground, guide them off, had them 
where they could withstand pretty good wind and uh, simply ran coax through the ceiling panels and out between the double doors most of those buildings have and most buildings like this will have a set of outside double doors and a set of inside double doors and that gap between the two doors is where we ran our cables outside and over to our to our antennas and we were able to to establish our communications quickly and uh, within an hour and a half of the request to set up for the EOCs, we were we were on the air. So we went from Joplin tornado disaster to one of new <laughs> a guy that we didn't realize was going to turn into a regular on the program, I guess, but he has, and we're very thankful for that. It's Jeremy KF7IJZ. Now, if you're a YouTube user, and I'm I'm just not because of the necessity and my poor internet connection down on the farm, if you're a YouTube user and you haven't checked out Jeremy's website or channel yet, you need to do that. It's KF7IJZ. You go to YouTube.com forward slash KF7IJZ, and you can check Jeremy out. He's got a lot of great videos, got some really cool stuff. We're going to link to them for the uh, this past this past field day. They did a lot of fun stuff, actually. I'd love to be up there with them. Maybe next, maybe next year, or this year, I should say, since we are in the 2015. Wow, it's kind of amazing where they're already. Anyway, uh, here's Jeremy. He talks about some of his stuff regarding amateur radio, and make sure you check out his YouTube channel, KF7IJZ. I mean, I, I ultimately, um, in order to play HF, I had to start going portable, and it started with. Uh, you know, a Yaesu FT817, the the wonderful and very uh, versatile QRP rig, um, and uh, a relatively rudimentary buddy pole setup. And I would drive to local parks and I would set up, and um, I would plug into my car's power, or I would use, uh, you know, like a 7 amp hour gel cell or AGM battery like a lot of us have or have access to. Um, but as I found that I was operating portable, my desire to make more contacts got greater, um, and I found that I had to start getting more creative from a power perspective, an antenna perspective, um, and even an operating perspective. Um, I actually have a really funny story about my portable operation, if I may. Absolutely. Go right ahead. So um, for those of you who are not familiar with the Buddy Pole, the Buddy Pole is a freestanding compromised dipole kit. Um, the Buddy Pole Deluxe Package comes with like a 13-foot tall tripod mast. And uh, in an effort to get it off the ground, and because I didn't have any guide kit, I actually installed this thing on the roof of my Jeep. And now the Jeep I have is a Jeep Patriot, so it's a, it's a fixed roof. It's not soft. And I just basically bungeed the hell out of the, the legs uh, to the, the, the luggage rack, right? So you imagine this, this teeny tiny Jeep with a 13-foot-tall, you know, center-supported dipole hanging off of it, right? <laughs> so apparently... This concerned people who lived near or drove near the park, and it, and it got the police called on me. <laughs> nice. That yeah, happens so to can... everybody that I hear operating in a park. They always get the cops called, man. Now, it's people don't understand what you're doing, and, and you know you look like you're hacking the whatevers, and people are afraid of what they don't understand, and so, well, we better call the police. <laughs> Fortunately, one of the officers that responded knew exactly what I was doing, and, you know, and went on his way, but uh, I still think that's funny. But that ends up driving me away from being in the city and driving out further and further in the country. And when you get further and further in the country and you have a long drive back, you got to be careful about the gas in your car. Um, maybe you don't want to load the back up with batteries. And so that started pushing me towards figuring out more efficient power systems, which ultimately led me to solar. 
Now, in episode three, we got a load of knowledge from Harlequin. He brought in his, let's see, man pack, backpack, man portable radio experience. And uh, there's there was a lot of lot to that onion. I don't even think we got halfway through the peeling and we ran out of an hour. So uh, maybe we'll have Harlequin in in the first of the year sometime to help us continue to learn more about man pack, man portable radios. And uh, here you go. He's going to drop a little bit of knowledge on you right now, and we'll see what's coming up next. In terms of some of the other packs that I, you know, that are kind of floating out there, you've got the British on the British side of the house. You've got the standard PRC three hundred and twenty. Those are somewhat available. Um, I've got a PRC three hundred and nineteen. I wouldn't recommend that for casual ham use, just because it's too hard to actually tune around. And maybe I should make a comment about this and most of the military radios. So these are all designed to be used on, like, one or two frequencies. You know, your, your frequency coordinator just gives you, here's the frequencies you're going to use, boys, and that's it. You know, you're not, yeah. you know, if you're in the military, you're not just tuning around yakking to people. So they're not particularly friendly. Some are better than others for just entering a frequency. Um, many designs will have, like, the sort of decade switches. The 320 has these dials. They go from zero to nine. And so you can definitely tune around with that. I mean, it's not the, you know, nicest thing on your fingers sometimes. But the more modern the radios, actually, and it's one of the reasons that the 70s and 80s mill packs are kind of probably the sweet spot um, in terms of operating, uh, once you get to really like the digital display stuff, often it's just like you have to program in a frequency or two or three frequencies. And so you're limited in that sense that, you know, you, you cannot tune around, you know. So, I mean, yeah, you can always just enter in another frequency that's up one or two, you know, whatever, you know, to talk to people. But, I mean, you're not going to scan through a band like that, you know, right. find somebody to talk to. So that's the other reason for using, you know, you're going to be on this frequency at this time, and that's that's more or less, you know, kind of what you have, especially with, like, the 319. It's got, uh, like, nine memories, and that's it, you know. I mean, you, I mean I'm not going to tune around with that thing. I mean, you know, I'll have, like, the HF pack frequencies programmed into it, and, you know, I can use those, but if there's nobody listening, you know, and nobody's responding to my CQ calls, I mean, I can punch in one or two of the nets and try that, but failing that, I'm done. All right, episode four brought in Dan Pisario, and Dan is Alpha Kilo 4 Papa X-Ray. <laughs> and Dan, it, it's, Dan's got such a really cool story. He's just, he was a guy looking for a hobby, uh, and, and he had a load of hobbies anyway. But he decided he wanted to try amateur radio. And, and it wasn't like he just got his ticket on a technician license and bought him a $35 walkie-talkie and started talking locally. No, Dan just dedicated his life for however long to get his amateur extra at the first sitting and has then began doing all sorts of things like going on a miniature de-expedition to an uninhabited, almost uninhabited island down off the Keys of Florida, and he talks about it in episode four. Dan Pisario, Alpha Kilo 4, Papa X-Ray. I activated an iota island on the air which in this case is the, the uh, whatever, the label for it, I guess, is NA079, November Alpha 079. So it had been previously activated and had subsequently been labeled. So it's not 
I only had to verify my trip, not necessarily activate the island. Mm. The other thing it is, is Grid Echo Lima 8-4, which I think is the, I think the official term is the Maidenhead Locator System or something. So Echo Lima 8-4 is one of the top five, maybe top ten grids that people want for the ARRLs. FFMA Fred Fish Memorial Award mm. and Fred Fish was the first ham operator to um, to verify all 488 grids in, <laughs> here in the 48 states of uh, continental US <laughs> <laughs> only five since him have done it and he did it in like 1988 so it's been wow it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, then, somebody was busy. Right, exactly. And then the third thing I did was Fort Jefferson Garden Key Dry Tortugas is actually a national park, the way Yosemite is a national park. It's all official. Right. It's got park rangers that live on there and everything. So I could go and operate like from my campsite, but my consideration was the antenna, like every operator the antenna is everything so I was looking for a spot where I could operate without being in anyone's way and without anyone running into my antenna I mean after all who wants a damaged antenna right episode five brought back our buddy Jeremy from number two KF7 (laughs) another blooper what is it with this call man KF7IJZ Jeremy interviews Nick N3WG from Pignology. Now, I am really excited, and I think I mentioned this in the past, but I was so thankful that Jeremy actually handled this interview because about 90% of what they talk about in this episode was way beyond my understanding. Hey, I'm just being real, right? Anyway, check it out. Here's Nick and Jeremy, episode number five. Wasn't it five or was it six? Yeah, it was five. Here's Jeremy and Nick. So, Nick, tell us, uh, tell us which which platform, be it iOS or Android, do you enjoy using more? And tell us which platform do you enjoy developing for more? Uh, so it's actually different between the two. I use an Android device uh, just because I like the the freedom and the functionality. What I don't like, which comes with that freedom, is the um, bugginess of the platform. It seems like. Um, Every Android phone you have, it seems like there's one quirk that annoys you. For example, my uh, this, I use a Galaxy S4. This particular phone, um, the screen will go black if I answer a phone call, and I cannot wake it up until the other person hangs up. So um, that's one example. Uh, so I use an Android, um, but I prefer to develop for iOS. Um, Developing for Android, because it's so open and there are so many possible hardware devices out there, it leads to a lot of different caveats with things like screen resolutions as well as hardware support. Like if I say in my app that I require GPS and the device, say it's a Kindle from Amazon, doesn't have GPS, then the app won't work. Um, in the uh, the Google Developer Console, it, it lists about 4,000 Android devices that are actually registered um, with Google uh, manufacturers to create devices and device types. And um, so that's 4,000 different devices that your app should work on. And uh, it can become kind of annoying. Um, all the different screen resolutions, again, are 
are really hard to, to get them all into one app because you have to create different user interfaces for each one. Um, creating user interfaces for Android is also ugly. Um, it's getting better though, but uh, back when I started on Android a couple years ago, it uh, it's all XML and you have to uh, have to lay things out in XML. Um, now it's getting to the point where you can drag and drop user controls and, and link functions to button clicks and things like that, but um, it's still kludgy in my opinion. There is a, uh, a new tool from Google coming out. I think it's called Android Developer Studio. I've never tried it, but um, I hear it's pretty good. Uh, for our iOS development, that's all Xcode on Mac, so you have to have a Mac. Um, I've been a Mac user since, I think, 2006 when the black MacBook came out. I got one of those, and I've been using them ever since. Um, so long story short, develop on iOS and use Android. All right, episode six, as we got through the episode five that I'm so thankful again Jeremy handled for me. Episode six brings us Doug, and Doug is way out on the left coast. He's up in the mountains of Washington State and does a lot of summits on the air action. And this episode really got me wanting to do two things. Number one, getting a smaller, low-powered, man-portable HF radio put that on the list for 2015 secondly maybe once that happens going to the top of a hill somewhere in say western north carolina and activating a summit it's a good episode and doug we thank you for participating and sharing with us here on the photon podcast check it out what is summits on the air and what makes a particular place a summit to be activated on the air yeah, you bet. Uh, Summits on the Air is basically an awards program for ham radio operators uh, and shortwave listeners that encourages portable operations up in the mountains. And it was started in the UK, you know, about 2002, and then it spread to a lot of other places in the world. And uh, what they do is when they set up an area, they go in and identify peaks with a prominence greater than about 150 meters you know, close to 500 feet, um, you know, uh, above other peaks. And they give those peaks a point value based on the elevation. For instance, uh, peaks under 499 meters get one point. Peaks 500 meters to 999 meters get two points. All the way up to the highest is a a 10-point peak. Um, I should mention that... uh, the point values for different peaks can vary a little bit by geographic region. And a lot of these peaks also have what's known as a winter bonus. If they're high enough, uh, you get extra points for activating them during the wintertime because they're likely covered in snow. So the peaks are identified by the association number and region and peak number. For instance, I live in Washington State, so my association number is Whiskey 7 Whiskey. You know, it's the uh, whiskey identifies its U.S., 7 is the 7th call area, and whiskey for Washington State. After that would be the region and peak number. Um, for instance, I live in King County in Washington State. So uh, one of the peaks nearby is KG for King County, and the peak number is 076. That's uh, called Humpback Mountain. Now, um, in Washington State, we're obviously a pretty mountainous state up here. We've got uh, 
2,742 soda-eligible peaks here. Happy New Year from Maine Trading Company. Have you checked out the website lately? Do it today, mtcradio.com. Yes, we love ham radio, but we love electronics in general, and we've got lots of it on the website. Also, don't forget to check the used gear page. Lots of things coming and going every day. Maine Trading Company, where we sell Kenwood, Icom, and Alinko ham radios. We love the hobby, and we love faux time. Visit our website today, mtcradio.com. Now, growing up in the Southeast, there's a lot of things that we took for granted as as younger people, children. I'm 41 now. And uh, one of those was the fact that we had a semi-local, okay, semi-local NFL franchise. Now, it didn't matter that they sucked. It was just cool that they were close. Now, what does this have to do with amateur radio? I'm telling my dad, hey, man, I've got an interview with a guy named Art Blank about amateur radio. You should check it out. It's really cool. He talks about going off and doing de-expeditions, which my dad has no idea what that means. But Art Blank caught his ear. Why? Because Art Blank owns the Atlanta Falcons. And they're pretty bad again this year, unfortunately. Anyway, check this episode out. It was a lot of fun. And Arthur, thank you for being a part of the Photon Podcast. One of the other county hunters uh, by the call of Whiskey Victor 2 Bravo, Dwayne Trevor, lives in New York. Very fine guy and a terrific operator. Um, he, he announced that he was looking for um, operators or somebody to go with him to St. Paul Island, Charlie Yankee 9 which is um, located uh, north of um, Cape Breton Island um, in VE1 land, in between Cape Breton Island, where Halifax is, and uh, Newfoundland. And uh, at the time, I was living in New York, so um, I hooked up with Dwayne, and I said, yeah, I'd really like to go. So tell me a little bit about you know, what we need, and, and uh, we started from there, and we started the logistics planning. Uh, how to get there, uh, what what I was going to be responsible for, what he was going to be responsible for, what equipment we were going to take, the goals that we were setting, how long we were going to be out there, what permissions we needed from the Canadian government. And uh, that was the, really the first adventure. And uh, it's, uh, of all of the de-expeditions that I've been on, um, I would say that that's the most memorable one because it was truly the most rustic one of all. St. Paul Island is not inhabited. We had to bring everything with us. Um, it was the, uh, the week of uh, 4th of July, um, but St. Paul Island is quite a bit north in latitude, so it was rather chilly at night. And uh, <clears throat> I learned an awful lot about <clears throat> operational propagation and uh, what the needs of the amateur community is uh, when it comes to uh, what they're expecting from you. Obviously, the goal of a de-expedition is to have fun and to provide a service to the amateur radio community. So um, it was quite a challenge going out to St. Paul. That was the first trip I made. You Episode 8 is probably one of my more favorite but most disappointing episodes. My most favorite because we worked so hard to make it happen. My least favorite because it sounded like crap, and it was just kale being unprepared for the moment. <sighs> yeah, you wanna you wanna hear some some uh, uh, what do you bloopers? Go listen to the entire episode eight. It's not Ed Cope. It's kale, 
and it was very poor on my part. What happened was Ed Cope was deployed to Afghanistan, and Ed Cope was over there operating as Tango 6 Echo Charlie, which is an awesome call, by the way. But uh, we worked and worked to get together on Skype, and I had hardware issues. Imagine that. Anyway, we finally got it worked out, and I had to set up down in the house at the dining room table with a horrible microphone on my end. And my kids were being loud. Anyway, thank goodness Ed had a (laughs) sense of humor and shared with us what it was like, number one, being deployed okay, in Afghanistan, and number two, being an amateur radio operator in another country. It's a great episode. And Ed, we're so glad you're home. Thanks for your service. Here's Ed Cope, episode eight. So, so uh, you're, you're climbing to the top of a building now and, and operating. Is this the picture, the, one of the last photos I've seen, uh, where you have the antenna kind of clamped on to a guardrail kind of a thing, and you're there with your KX3 and your Condor deployment bag? Is that is that how you're now, operating now? That that uh, when I was that's the picture of me operating with my iPad. I was just out mobile one day, um, and I, we were going to have a meeting with the uh, Afghan Army and at another location. And I knew they were going to be late, and I knew most of the day was going to be a waste of time. I, I knew that going into it, so I just said, well, "Why not throw the radio and see if I can make it work with an iPad?" And so I threw it in there and climbed to the top of the building, which the manager that runs it is like, you know, come on up top. It's the best view of Kabul. And so I was like, <laughs> well, if it's got a good view, it's also got a good antenna horizon. So right. I brought everything up with me and hooked it up. And it got had enough time to make two or three QSOs um, off the iPad, which is still a learning curve. Um, as opposed to, you know, using your computer. And, you know, made a few QSOs and took it apart. And um, I think I've posted some pictures before of me operating on the building, which I there's a picnic table on top of the roof of this building, and I just bring the laptop and radio and amplifier and the whole nine yards and, and uh, set up from there. What kind of antenna are you using, Ed, when you when you operate from the roof? Well, I started out with a buddy stick with some additional accessories. Um, when I got the KX3, I ordered the buddy stick with it and ordered some of their shock cord whips, uh, extended length uh, shock cord whips, rather than the you know, like the old car antenna or CB walkie-talkie type of telescoping antenna. It's it's a shock cord whip antenna that's extra length, and I ordered some extra mast sections. And when I was living at the other base, it was pretty nice because I could just set it up, and I had a capacity hat on it as well. And so it was probably 35, 40 feet off the ground, and it was probably 14-foot-tall vertical and had it grounded to the roof of my uh, building that I was living in, which is a metal Connex container, basically. So it grounded right to the roof and made a perfect uh, counterplane to it. And then upgraded to, I thought, well, since I've got, you know, the buddy, buddy pole, which is essentially half of a buddy stick, 
So I just ordered a couple more arms and pieces, and that way now I've got a buddy uh, or a buddy pole to go with, uh, you know, having that uh, ease of portability of the buddy stick. So then I got to looking at it, and it's like, well, you know what? If I just get two more pieces, I'll have not only a buddy pole, but a buddy's pole and a buddy stick. So that's now <laughs> what I have. And it's funny how how amateur radio accessories multiply. Episode 9, the Photon Podcast. You've got questions. I've got opinions. I've got uh, I've got a group of listeners here just scratching your head saying, wow, Kel, I would have said that so differently. That's cool, man. I didn't say I was the smartest guy. I said I had some opinions, and I'm trying to share them here with John. All right, what's a good starter unit? Now, this will get rocks thrown at me, uh, tomatoes and and tar and feathers if they could get close. I'm going to say the best starter unit for you, John, is the one that you can afford. What what can you afford, and what will serve your needs best within that that uh, budget? When I started out a few years ago, the $35 walkie-talkies did not exist. The less or the least expensive unit was about 100 bucks, and it was by a company named Oshin. They still manufacture them. You can still buy them from Main Trading Company and other places. They're great walkie-talkies. I've had mine. I've used mine as a walkie-talkie. I've used it as a mobile unit in the truck. I used it as a base station for about six months when it was all that I had. It was 100 bucks. It was about all I could afford, and it served me really well. Nowadays, you can go and buy a walkie-talkie for 35 bucks, and it'll serve you pretty good. Now, is it going to be as tough as nails? Can you drop it from the roof? Can you go out and accidentally dip it in the in the creek or something? Probably not. But for 35 bucks, you can get on the air. All right? There's some better units, okay? Really, the, the base model, the starter rigs, the, the Baofeng, the Pofung, um, that's your, your bottom end, the UV5R, the UVB5, which is my favorite bottom end radio, the Baofeng UVB5 or 5B. I'm dyslexic. I'll put a link in the show notes. But it's the one that looks different than the one that everybody else buys. I think it's a better radio personally, and you can find some, you can find some opinions to back that up as well. So, I mean, if you've got a 5R and it works for you, I'm happy for you. Okay, you want to spend maybe $4 more and buy the other one? Go ahead. Episode 10 on the Photon Podcast with George Zerophilus. And I can say it sometimes, George. I just can't say it every time. <laughs> Sorry. George is a member of the Baynet Group in Southern California in the San Francisco Bay Area, and he's very involved in amateur radio. George contacted me. After we posted the episode uh, with Jeremy and Nick, I'm not going to blow your call up again, bro. But anyway, encouraging me and thanking me for doing the podcast and telling me he liked it, et cetera, which is always great to hear, by the way. And uh, he said, hey, I've got some things that we could talk about if you're looking for some guests. Anyway, this is the first time George comes on the show. It's not the last as we continue into the new year. In our MCOM box series, as uh, you're probably getting ready for the second installment of that, probably going to be number 17. Anyway, here's George from episode number 10, and we appreciate you, George, being a part of the Photon Show. Uh, I tried to kind of explain what a repeater was and didn't really want to go down that road too far because I didn't want to look like a complete idiot. So will you, uh, with your knowledge, explain to us what a repeater actually is? 
for the layman? Yeah, sure. Um, so the, really the concept is really simple. Uh, simply put, it is a receiver and a transmitter uh, plus some other hardware that you put together and, and uh, it allows you to receive a signal on one frequency and retransmit it on another frequency at the same time. So it, when you get your first radio, of course, the first thing you want to do is see how far you can talk. So if you have a, a handheld radio and you're talking to your friend on his handheld radio, you might get a couple miles. You know, if you have some elevation, you'll get much greater distance, but you, know, you might get a mile or two. Uh, a repeater st- system lets you uh, put a receiver and a transmitter up on a high elevated point. And that could be a mountaintop or a building or a water tower or anything that's above the surrounding terrain. So once you do that, of course, you can expand the coverage significantly. And the repeater itself is really uh, pretty straightforward. You listen on one frequency, retransmit on another. Uh, the tricky part, of course, is uh, to really tune it to make it perform really well. Takes uh, takes some work and and you know a little bit of knowledge, and then you can make the system work really well. Now, see, I would have totally blown that up, but thank you. Uh, it, it is so simple; it's almost hard to explain. Easily, you know, it, it, at its core, it's really simple. And I think what's what's kind of kept my fascination for repeaters over the years is that it becomes a uh, a resource for your local ham community. And there's so many things you can do to uh, enhance and expand the functionality of that repeater system, and it becomes really a, a, a tremendous asset um, during natural disasters, during uh, community events, just as a focal point for the community. It serves a lot of purposes. Episode 11 was a little strange for me, but I thought it turned out pretty good. What happened was I had a show due while I was in a different state. Still in the southeast, but I was about six hours from, nah, eight hours if you count traffic in the big ATL. Anyway, I uh, I brought Jeremy back in, and we introduced Gerald as well. So thank you guys for being here. They shared with us about MCOM boxes and the mindset and APRS. So if you're interested in either of those, that's a good one to listen to. All right, let's check out what Jeremy and Gerald have to say. So what, what's required to get you on the air with APRS? So, of course, you're going to need a radio. That radio is going to need to cover the band that you want to do. It would be nice if it had a data port, but you can get away with using a microphone port. You're going to need a TNC. That TNC is a terminal node controller, and it's going to convert the computer signals into a tone to be sent over the radio. So you may have seen an AFSK. That's Audio Frequency Shift Keying. So that's what your TNC is doing. Now this TNC in recent years has been uh, emulated in software. So you can actually have a program on your computer to do that for you. One of the most um, notable in this is the APRS Droid application for Android phones. You can actually hook your radio into your tablet or your phone and send out these packets over the sound card. Uh, in my experience, I've had a lot better luck using a hard, hardware-based uh, TNC. A couple different manufacturers are Argent Data Systems. Um, Argent Data makes some really good radios with pre-made cables and uh, really simple to use. Tiny Trek, uh, Tiny Trek's the same way, uh, pre-made cables and radios. And then you can get into a, uh, the Raspberry Pi has a. Um, a board that can plug into the top of it for a TNC. 
Uh, that's a pretty fun little kit if you're interested in building kits. It takes about an hour to put together, and uh, it's pretty fun. Episode 12 was me. It was a lot of me. It may be too much me, but it's still me. So uh, here's a little taste from episode 12. Now, I'm going to ask each and every one of you to do something this time. And it's got nothing to do with money, but it's got everything to do with you listening to the Photon Podcast. If this is your first time here, okay, maybe I'll cut you some slack because you don't know how great it is yet, but you're going to find out as we progress. If this is not your first time, and you've been listening since episode one, episode two, whatever, and you like the program, I need you to tell somebody. I'm serious. I went on iTunes the other day. I had a guy ask me, you know, what's, uh, what's, your, what's your numbers? What's, what's your analytics look like on the podcast? Uh, and I can't tell you everything because I don't even know. But I, I logged out of iTunes and then went, went in, search, in search of the Photon Podcast on iTunes. And I found it. And there was one review. And thank you, whoever that was, for your five-star review. I appreciate it. But for this podcast to grow, other people have to know about it. And I just can't be the only one to tell them. Of course, I'm going to say it's great because it's my podcast. So if you like the show, this is your call to action, okay? And every show is supposed to have one. You're downloading it. You're listening. You're subscribed to it. Take just a moment. Please go into iTunes, go into Stitcher, go into Spreaker, go on Facebook, whatever, and tell somebody or review this thing, even if it's bad. I need to know what you're thinking. I get a lot of calls. I get a lot of contact throughout the week, so it's not that. But for this thing to show up more often in search engines and whatnot, we need to optimize it. And to do that, I need your participation, and that's what I'm asking for. If you're listening on iTunes, on your brand new iPhone 6, okay, you're way ahead of me and that's cool, uh, go in there and, and rate this program. I mean, you can say, Kel is awesome. I won't hurt you. It won't hurt my feelings at all. You can say, he sucks. That's okay, too. But I'd prefer, I'd prefer, of course, positive reviews. Now, episode 13 was kind of fun to make. Uh, it was a lot of work, a lot of mental uh, preparation to convey what I was hoping to convey. And thanks for Gerald as well as being a part of uh, number 13 to talk to us about programming your radios, most especially your walkie-talkies, and kind of giving some mindset thoughts to that. But uh, I get really deep in this episode. Here's episode 13. In the amateur radio hobby, a tool is also known as a lid, L-I-D, okay? Uh, the other day, the other day, somehow I got pulled into Facebook uh, on a post about a guy who had just got his general license. And uh, I think I might have contributed something like, congratulations on your upgrade. You're going to really enjoy HF. Well, I just wanted to tell the guy congratulations, right? And for whatever reason, there were notifications on my phone turned on. So every time someone posted in this, I don't think you call it a thread, but whatever it is on Facebook, uh, anytime somebody posts, well, it was just blowing my phone to pieces. And I finally got in there and turned the notification off because it was driving me mad. But when I was doing that, I went back and read some of the comments that people were, were putting on Facebook regarding this guy getting his general class upgrade, not really knowing what to do, not having a load of money to put into the hobby to buy a really expensive rig. And he was just asking the question, 
you know, what is a good place to start? Where is a good place to start for a guy on a budget? Well, if there's anybody that understands budget, it's me. Okay. I am self-employed, unemployed, whatever, however you want to look at it, since 2003. Okay, we started our business in 01. My first child was born in three. I became a stay-at-home dad, homeschooling dad now. So there's not a lot of money to go around. Okay, I understand budget items. So I went back and was reading some of his comments. Couldn't figure out why why the the thread had gone this way. And what happened was somebody said, well, some some lid, some tool came on there and told the guy, well, if you're a general and you could pass the test and you don't have any money, you should have the knowledge to go into your shack and build your own transceiver. Episode 14 is a little different. We bring Jeremy back in, KF7IJZ, and we also introduce a new guest, a new guest to, to the show. I'm not new to anyone that's in amateur radio. It's Steve Whiskey Golf Zero Alpha Tango. You know, the goat hiker, and he's got some really neat insight about amateur radio operations with goats. So if, in looking back in, uh, in all of your, your adventures, you know, are there any, any stories about you and the goats that you never got on video that you, you just really wish you could have because it would have made a, a really great video to share with folks? It, uh, yeah, there's, it, it, it's almost like you've got to have surveillance camera running the whole time because um, they do stuff that's just really funny. I mean, the budding heads, I've, they do that often enough um, that, you know, I've, I've been able to cap- capture some of that. But it's uh, it's Rooster um, was notorious for just doing dumb stuff and or getting himself into trouble and Somehow he managed to uh, wrap his, get the coax wrapped around his leg. I had a buddy pole stuck up on a pile of rocks, buddy pole vertical. And he got the coax wrapped around his leg somehow. And he's, he was 240 pounds. So uh, when he moved, um, whatever was attached to him went with him. Yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden, I look up and I'm talk, talking to some guy in, in Hawaii, matter of fact, and the buddy pole vertical was jerking over at 45 degrees, and then finally, you know, bit the dust. and um, And I I yelled at him, and the result of that was he turned and looked like, "Oh, I didn't do it," and <laughs> um, and then kind of started moving away from me, like you know, I was going to go after him. And so around our campsite, um, I'm chasing my big goat rooster, and this buddy pole vertical is um, dragging behind him about 15 feet. And behind that was my 817. All right, in episode 15, it's the last episode of the year. Well, unless you count this one, and this could be the last. Either way, okay. Uh, Episode 15 brings George Zeropoulos back to us, and we talk about beginning the series of... Amateur Radio Go Boxes, Emergency Communications, Preparedness, Compilation of Equipment to Pack Together for Different Sorts of Problems and Things that You May Be Preparing For, for a lack of a better term. And uh, George is back, and he's always full of knowledge. Hey, George, let's let's go over the basics here. What does every ham need regarding a go bag? 
You, you know, that's it's a great question, and there are there's lots of lists of equipment. And if you just get on uh, Google and you type "go bag ham radio" or something like that, you'll get 101 lists uh, of equipment and parts and bits and pieces. And everybody has their own unique needs, but um, we've sort of come up with a with a standard checklist um, for our group here. Um, and when when you look at this, you, you can kind of organize it in different pieces. Kay, let me take you back a sec. So sure. when I was much younger, um, I used to do a lot of backpacking. And when I first started getting into backpacking, um, I read a book uh, by a fellow named Colin Fletcher. And this fellow uh, wrote a book called The Complete Walker. And he explained in like 400 pages <laughs> how, to, how to gear up for backpacking. So he had the same um, kind of crazy equipment focus that a lot of you know us hams have and and he had a very specific organizing strategy around you know you organize your food this way and your clothes that way and your sleeping gear this way and and all that and 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 out of that came the the 10 essentials what are the 10 essentials those are the 10 things that every hiker and backpacker should have with them at all times uh for basic safety and survival and and so that idea really stuck with me. And I sort of applied that same sort of thinking to how I would um, structure my my go bag. So so basically, what when I look at this, I, I kind of break the basics into two pieces. One is your radio gear as hams. There's, there's a lot of that. And then there's a bunch of other stuff that you want to have too that's not specifically radio gear, but is just super helpful, useful stuff in your day-to-day life that you really want to have with you. And when you say have with us, George, are you staying all the time? You, you know, a lot of people look at this different ways. You know, there's some folks, you'll see YouTube videos with people who have little pouches they carry with them that's got all this stuff and that's always on their person. I think that's, you know, kind of over the edge a bit. Um, the way I do it is I have a couple of small gear bags and I leave them uh in the garage, or if I'm going somewhere, I'll throw them in the car. So there you go. I hope that this little taste of 2014 went down easy enough. If you heard something you might not have heard before and want to go check it out, please remember to address yourself (laughs) to AmateurRadio15.com. AmateurRadio15.com. It's the Photime Podcast, and you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, we have an RSS feed. There's lots of different ways you can listen to the site. And whatever way that you choose to listen to us, we appreciate it, number one. Secondly, we would ask that you would go back and share some thoughts with your peers, like the people who are sharing the same place you're getting your podcast feed from, to tell them how awesome the Photon Podcast is. A lot of great stuff to come this year. We appreciate your encouragement, your support, your downloading, and being a part of the Photon Show. God bless you guys. Happy New Year. We'll catch you next time on Photon.
You can find our past episodes, web links, and more at AmateurRadio15.com. That's AmateurRadio15.com. Follow us on Twitter at Bowtime Podcast. And remember to visit our show sponsor, Main Trading Company, at MTCRadio.com. Till next time, 73s.